last couple of weeks, uh, we just took a few minutes to just kind of uh, talk about our special offering, which happens next Sunday. Next Sunday morning uh, here, we will have a Greater Things offering. I've got the big bucket right here. And uh, this is, you know, we have this at our house and uh, on the countertop, and, and we encourage our kids, you know, when I empty my pockets, and I've got those change dollar bills, and we just kind of put that in throughout the year. And, uh, and next Sunday, we're going to bring our buckets. If you have one, if you don't have one, you can still participate. But we're going to bring our buckets, and a lot of you will bring yours as well. And um, with loose change, $10 bills, $100 bills, you know, $1,000 bills, and all that good stuff. Uh, a check as well. We usually write a check and put it in there. Um, and uh, we're praying for over $20,000 in our offering next, next Sunday. Now, that offering goes to... Um, greater things in our city. Not a dime goes to Lake Point. Everything goes to uh, church planting. We talked about a church planter a couple of weeks ago in Ann Arbor, and uh, we're going to help them out. Uh, Abigail Ministry, we, talked, we saw them last week, and how, how cool it was to see one of the graduates from Abigail Ministry, um, Michael, and Michael's over here. And so, you know, she shared her testimony of where she was before you know, Abigail Ministries and just, you know, just not in a good situation in her life and with a child on the way. And, um, and Abigail Ministry helped her get her back on her feet, establish her, and, and really God intervened in a powerful way and, uh, and doing some incredible stuff. And so it's cool to see that we don't just give, but we're also involved in different ways with these ministries. And, uh, and so today, we want to recognize another ministry we've been involved with before, Love for a Child. They help foster ministry, foster kids um, all around our community, and um, they do some incredible stuff. And again, you're going to see where our church does just more than just giving money to them, but how we're partnering them in different ways and how some of you are involved in, uh, in impactful ways. And uh, so I want you to check this out, check out the video, and then Joseph Valley, the leader of Love for a Child, will come up here and speak for a few minutes. Good morning, Lake Point Church. Uh, again, my name is Joe Sabali from Love for a Child Kids Camp. 
Uh, excited to be back. I believe this is like the fifth time in four years. And so uh, today I just want to share a little bit about um, what it is here at Lake Point Church that you guys have been supporting, the history behind it, and where things are currently at in that partnership. And then we have something very special to do. But, um, you know, years ago, a mutual friend of mine said, hey, you have to meet this amazing guy. His name is Pastor Scott Blanchard. So immediately I reached out to him. I said, hey, we should get together. So he invited me to breakfast. Shoots me a text message and he says, hey, meet me at Tim Hortons at 21 in Van Dyke. I was like, what kind of cheap breakfast is this guy treating me to? (laughs) And just to find out, he shows up to Tim Hortons without a wallet. So who guess who had to pay? So make sure you put your offering in today, Pastor Scott. Um, But that really created a pivotal moment where um, Love for a Child was introduced to this church family. And the goal of partnership between charity and church, sometimes people can look at and get a little misconstrued. There's people sitting there thinking, oh, we know what they need. They need the check. They need the cash in my pocket. Just ask for it. Well, sure, that helps support our ministry and it allows us to survive and put on programming. And so our ministry helps children in foster care who have suffered from different forms of abuse, abandonment, and neglect. And every year we get a ton of applications for children who come to our camps, enroll into our mentorship program, who have different, different needs on all different backgrounds. Kids who have suffered physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, abandonment in ways that they've lived in 10 homes by the age of 10. And so what we try to establish in a church partnership is more than a check, it's relationship. And Lake Point, some years ago, maybe four or five years ago, got involved with saying, hey, what can we do more? And I said, hey, we need volunteers. So then volunteers started coming from Lake Point. We had different counselors and nurses and different people starting to get involved get their hands into this mix, helping children in need. And then those very volunteers would take the next step and they would become mentors to these children, visiting them in their homes every single month. And then the next step would take place, that those mentors who were once volunteers said, hey, we should become foster care licensed to help eradicate this problem in Southeast Michigan and Michigan as a whole and become Christian foster parents to provide a good home to children who have been on the go their entire life. But all of those attributes are great. But the goal at the heart of the mission of what we do is to make sure that the child has the opportunity to not just meet a group of Christians, but to be introduced to Jesus. So that wherever they travel, Jesus can travel with them. And today, I wanna share just a very quick story about two boys. You can bring up that first picture. These are two members of your church, Dominic and Kristen, sitting with those boys by a car at a mentorship thing. And these boys, their names Jordan and Jaden, twin brothers, came to our camp this past August. And we loved these boys. We still love them. They are um, full of life, full of energy, big smiles. Of course, they're brothers, so there's competition involved between the two of them. They never fight. But... Kids camp is an opportunity for them to have fun. Cue that second photo. Yes, we have meals together as a family. We go down these large slip and slides and it's all about joy because I can't go into the full detail and you understand why in just a minute. 
But these boys have had the rug sometimes pulled out from under their feet. You know, see, they, they get to live with a grandmother who gives them all of her love and all of her attention to make sure that they have a phenomenal life ahead of them. But it doesn't mean that didn't come without some challenges. Like some of us who have families in this room and children sitting in LP kids, they don't necessarily get to see mom and dad every week. Sometimes it has to be through a video camera. Sometimes there's some questions if there is going to be any contact that week. And that's not to belittle their situation. It's just in the spirit of what Pastor Scott is preaching on, mom and dad have some things to overcome themselves before normal becomes normal once again. And there's a lot of things I'm leaving out of this story in respect to these two children because there's this moment at kids camp, cue the next photo where a child recognizes the heart of Christ and they fall into the arms of someone who's been trained to volunteer to recognize that individual moment. The last photo, please. And then there's the moment where I believe Jesus does the healing, where he takes away the hurt from a foster child and he heals it with a little bit of hope that yes, you can make it one more day, one more week. And he takes the loss that they have in their life and their heart of being parentless and shows them a group of people, not just love for a child, but a church that says, hey, we'll love you unconditionally. And people ask me all the time, well, where do they come from? It must be Detroit. It must be the crisis in Flint because it's not here. And today I want to share with you, it's in our community. We've all been through some hurt through COVID, yes, but imagine being living with some loss and the hurt every single day, not knowing. Jordan and Jaden live right off of 26 Mile by Jewel, just a couple miles from this house. More importantly, they've been walking through these church hallways, being a part of your kids' program, and their grandmother, who's working so hard, who deserves all the honor has been taking them here because it started with a volunteer, it turned into mentorship, it turned into uh, mentors becoming foster licensed, but more importantly, forget about what love for a child does. It gets them through these front doors so they can meet a congregation of you type of people who are gonna love on them, honor them, and welcome them into the community. Because I'm speaking for one family today, but I, I can tell you about 300 more who feel like they have a target on their back that they don't, they're overlooked and nobody wants to spend time with them. So I wanna do something special because I've never done this before, but Lake Point Church, would you please welcome my friends, Jordan and Jaden to the stage. Uh, I get emotional because it's years ago. Scott, I'm going over by two minutes. Just forgive me, brother. Years ago, someone looked me in the face and said, this whole thing that you're doing is a waste of time. 
But we get to meet amazing families like this and amazing kids who stand in front of you brave, stronger than I've ever been, stronger than my life has ever been predicted. And I don't typically do something like this, but this is partnership. When it starts with a conversation over breakfast, and then as you look at the years that lead forward, families who need a little bit of extra help can walk through the church doors, feel welcomed, feel loved, and encouraged. And so next week when you give to all these amazing ministries that all deserve it so well, give with a grateful heart because when that dollar goes into the bucket, yes, a child goes down a slip and slide. A child gets to have a community of family and a team of Love for a Child volunteers that joined us this morning for service just to be in support. But it all leads towards one final goal, is that we can love the child as Jesus loves us. Thank you, church. All right. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Hey, isn't that awesome? Yeah, these guys are uh, just doing some incredible stuff, and I'm glad to partner that. I'm glad we can partner with uh, ministries like this. And uh, in fact, Joe, you've got a bunch of your friends here, your, your team. And if you've been involved with Love for Child, maybe you've volunteered at a camp in, uh, in a different way. But if you're here in this room, uh, can you stand? Um, go ahead and stand up. Don't be afraid. And uh, we got a couple over here. Monique. So, awesome, awesome. Thank you. And uh, we appreciate all you guys are doing. And um, one of the cool things, by the way, Joe, um, I forgot to mention it in the first survey, but um, you guys, uh, we've got a golf tournament in August, and, uh, and some of our people in our church are kind of putting that on. Just, you know, they're just kind of like, hey, we want to do something. And so they're putting the golf tournament together. Yo, it's not show tournament. They say, hey, we want to put the tournament on. We want to benefit Love for a Child. Isn't that cool? And so information, if you're a golfer, uh, there's information at the Greater Things table. And uh, so grab it, you know, if you need to go over there and grab a bucket or if you need to grab over there and uh, get information about that golf tournament and, uh, and be involved in supporting this wonderful ministry right here in our own um, community. And so... Um, we're good. Well, hey, listen, we're in a series called Overcomer, and, um, and, and we'll talk about these boys and how much they've overcome, and uh, we're going to talk about another boy named Joseph, and uh, Joseph uh, overcame so much in his life. We talked about how he overcame, a couple of weeks ago, overcame adversity, and then last week, we talked about how he overcame temptation. Today, I want to talk about how he overcame discouragement discouragement. Uh, there was this missionary named Olin Hendrick, Olin Hendrick, who wanted to go to Africa. The problem was his wife didn't want to go to Africa. And uh, he tried to convince her, he said, let's go to Africa. Africa was happening. And she just did not want to have anything to do with Africa. But she finally agreed to go on a, on a short little trip to check out Africa. And she was, you know, and Olin Henry was hoping that his wife would fall in love with Africa. And so they, they, they get over there, and, and, and unfortunately, the wife 
but more, was more miserable in Africa. She didn't like it at all. I mean, every day she was complaining, she was whining, and she was just getting more mad about the situation, and it just wasn't working. And so Olin's like, man, I've got one last Hail Mary, and I'm gonna take her to the most beautiful spot on the earth around the Victoria Falls. It's the most spectacular place. If, if you don't know what Victoria Falls look like, just Google it, it's, it's amazing. And so they get there on their last day of Africa, they get there, and they're standing by a statue of David Livingston. David Livingston is the famous missionary, famous explorers in the 1800s that was the first person outside of Africa to discover Victoria Falls. He put Victoria Falls on the map. And uh, so he's a famous missionary, and there's a statue of David Livingston just kind of standing out, looking out over, over the waterfalls. And uh, it almost looked like he was looking to see if Jesus would come. He had that look, you know. And, and, and so Olin brings his wife, you know, in front of that statue, and they just kind of pause for a minute, hold her hands, and just really, just really hoping that this would convince her, maybe this would impact her in such a way. And he finally said to her, honey, what do you suppose David Livingston is thinking about? And his wife caught him off guard. She responded, you know, he's probably thinking, I've had it up to here with Africa. I've had it up to here with Africa. Needless to say, they didn't go to Africa, okay? They didn't go there. But let me ask you a question. Have you had it up to here with life? You know, have you had it up to here with, you know, maybe your job, maybe your marriage, you've just had it up to here? Maybe, you know, maybe with your friends, maybe with your family, your responsibility at work, maybe at school, you've had it up to here? Maybe you've had it up to here with the church. Let me ask you this. Maybe you've had it up to here with the pandemic. How many of you say, yep, I've had it up to here. All right, I see some people that say, I've had it up to here, you know? We, 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 we can just, have you ever just said, man, I just, I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to quit. I just can't take it anymore. You feel like you just want to give up. You want to quit. One of the best verses of discouragement. And, uh, and today I just want to encourage you in many ways, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul said, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. In other words, hang in there. He said, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And as we study the life of Joseph, it should encourage you and me to be faithful to God even when we find ourselves in discouraging situation. Here's a young man that could have easily said, you know, I've had it up to here with Egypt. You know, I've, I've had it up here. People can't keep their words. It seems like God's not answering my prayers. I feel like throwing in the towel. Joseph could have done that, but we, we see in his life, a quick review of his life, and when we look at his life, it would make any one of us, you know, discouraged. Any one of us, severely discouraged. I mean, here he is, Joseph is probably about 30 years old, 
And so far in his life, you know, he was hated by his brothers because he's the favorite son of, of dad. They planned to kill him, but at the last minute, they sold him to slavery. In a matter of hours, he went from being the pampered son of a wealthy man to a lowly slave. In Egypt, he worked hard. And instead of blaming God and becoming bitter, he decided that he would be the best slave possible. God was with him. And his master started to notice the blessing of God. Instead of noticing, noticing that God was with Joseph and he promoted him to be the administrative assistant to his household. But then more trouble came that would make you and me discouraged. His master's wife, and we talked about this last week, tried to seduce him. He said no, and she kept running after him. Finally, he runs out of the house, and she's mad. She feels rejected. And so in anger, she accused Joseph of falsely raping her. And then Joseph is thrown in prison. However, through all of this, Joseph stayed faithful to God and didn't become discouraged. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, we've got it on the handout notes or we have it on the screen. You can follow along in your YouVersion Bible app. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start there and then we're going to kind of roll into chapter 40. Chapter 39 and verse number 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And just a just want to pause here because this is the phrase that we're going to see over and over and over again. That, that the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him through all of this. And so the Lord showed him kindness, verse 21, he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything else under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And sometimes later, chapter 40, verse 1, sometimes later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt. Now, these two guys, before we go on, the, 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 the cupbearer, now, he's the guy that drinks the wine. Some of you said, man, that sounds like a fun job until, you know, you understand that a cupbearer, he's supposed to test to see if it's poison, all right? And if it's poison and he dies, then it's not so great of a job, is it, okay? And so, and the king would say, okay, that's bad wine, all right? <laughs> and find me a new cupbearer while we're at it. And so, this is how that job works, all right? And so, the cupbearer, and of course, the baker obviously made the food for the king of Egypt, all right? So somehow, they, the Bible says in verse 1, they offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and they put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, the cupbearer and the baker obviously do in prison, and they must have done something to make the king mad. I'm not sure what they did. We don't know why they made the king mad. Maybe he burned the toast. 
Maybe they put too many chili in, you know, too many jalapenos in the chilies. Uh, or maybe, and it might make me mad, they put him on a gluten-free diet, all right? And so, but whatever the case is, they offended the Pharaoh, and they throw him in prison, and they meet Joseph. This was a God-ordained meeting. God ordained these two guys to cross paths with Joseph. And Joseph, although he had a different status in life, who'd never worked in the palace, had nothing in common found himself experiencing something that they were experiencing. They were in prison. And we see that Joseph, you know, uh, starts to minister to them. Look at verse number four. After they have been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. I mean, Joseph's incredible. Here he is. He could have his own self-pity party. But, you know, instead of being upset and wallowing in self-pity, he looks around, and he had the ability, ability to look in others' faces to see that there's a need, there's a ministry opportunity, and he served others right in the middle of this dark situation. And so verse number seven, you could tell these guys were dejected. And so verse seven, he asked them. He said, why do you look so sad today? And they said, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. It's interesting that Joseph didn't say, you know, Hey guys, I have a degree. I, I can interpret dreams. I am that awesome. He didn't do that. He, in fact, he gives it all the glory to God. He, he noticed that it was all about God's existence, all about God. He gives God the credit, God the glory. Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it bud, it blossomed, and it clusters ripen into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. Now I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in his hand. Joseph said, well, this is what it means. He said, the three branches are three days. How many days? Three. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. In other words, that means that he will he will take you out of prison and then he will restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. And then Joseph said, verse 14, well, when all goes well, now remember me and show me kindness. Why don't you name drop me, right? Name drop me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I don't belong here. I don't belong there. I would, I, I'm, I've been accused of, of wrong things. I don't belong in a prison. And so he said, listen, just remember me. Don't forget about me. Help me get out of this place too. Meanwhile, the chief baker's listening to this. He said, wow, that's cool. I have a dream too. And we see this in verse 16. He said, on my head were three baskets of bread. 
In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. And Joseph said, well, this is what it means. The three baskets are three days. How many days? Three. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head. In other words, I'll get you out of prison and impale your body on the pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Let me ask you a question. If you were Joseph in this situation, and if you had this dream to interpret, what would you have told the baker? Here's what I would have probably said. You know, that's an interesting dream. Why don't you come back in four days? See, right here. Come back in four days, and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> but, you know, I love that Joseph here, you know, he's honest. You know, and I'm reminded that sometimes it's difficult to be honest with the truth. It's difficult to be honest with the truth. Joseph said, hey, listen, you have three days to live. You need to get your house in order. And see, the thing about Joseph is that Joseph, Joseph he's not trying to win friends. He's not trying to impress. He represents he represent God. And I think a Christian... We need to understand that the Bible says that we're told that we are to speak the truth, but we are to speak it in love, right? We're to speak it in love. And if we're not careful, we can just get out of balance. We can really get out of balance. We, can, we want people to like us. No, we don't, want, we don't want to be canceled for telling the truth. You know, we, we, and, but the Bible says that we are called to speak the truth and love, that's our responsibility, not to be afraid to speak the truth in love. And Joseph, he spoke a hard truth here. Verse number 20. The third day, three days later, was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearers and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. In other words, they're now out of prison. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Verse 23. However, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. After all that Joseph had done for, this, for the chief cupbearer, right? You know, he interpreted a dream, gave him a new lease on life. The cupbearer forgot to mention Joseph before Pharaoh. In fact, Joseph is now stuck in prison for two more years. Talk about another slam of discouragement in his life. Now, keep in mind, we know the story. I call this uh, reader's bias, because we know what happens. But Joseph, he doesn't know what happens in chapter 41. He's stuck in chapter 40. For all he knows, he's stuck in prison for the rest of his life. But in spite of all of this, Joseph still stayed faithful to God. He was not discouraged, even though he didn't get it. Even though he didn't understand it, he kept his faith in God. Paul Harvey, he had a quote. 
He said, a successful person is the person who gets up one more time than he's been knocked down. Paul Harvey said that. And the Apostle Paul, he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. He said, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And for the rest of our time, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you and I about some keys from Joseph's life on how to overcome discouragement. Number one, if you're discouraged, you got to keep doing your job. Keep doing your job. We see in the story that Joseph performed his job to the best of his ability, even when things weren't going his way. You know what the temptation is when we're in discouragement? The temptation for us is to withdraw. Right? So we, we, sometimes we want to call in sick. Or maybe we come in and we, we just do sloppy work. Or, or we stay home and complain. But it doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it only compounds the problem. Because the next day, you're still feeling depressed. You're still feeling guilty. You're still discouraged. It doesn't help. When you're discouraged, force yourself to get back up and to keep moving, and to keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Don't wallow in self-pity. Don't just deal and think about all the negativity that's going on. Move ahead. I was uh, 24 years old in Pensacola, Florida, and I just got out of a, uh, out of a relationship and uh, a terrible breakup. Um, I was uh, involved in a church, uh, in a school, and and that went south, and I got burned. I've been burned by church. It's a pastor. You've been burned by church. Oh, yeah. I got burned. And I got in a place in a very difficult time in my life. I was 24 years old. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job. You know, I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I've been kicked around by people that I thought that loved me. And I was in a real weird place. I was staying at a house. And of a 75-year-old of uh, widow lady. She was about the only friend I had, you know, in Pensacola. And uh, she was such an encourager to me. In fact, she was um, in my wife and I's wedding, you know, uh, one of our ladies that we ushered down because she was so special to me. And, uh, and, and she, um, she uh, let me stay in her house while trying to figure things out. And um, one, just one week, I was just in the pit. And it was time to go to church. And in fact, I didn't know what church to go to. I'd just been kind of kicked around and been beat up by Christians. Can you believe that? He said, nah, yeah, that happens. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. You know what I did on that Sunday morning? I said, you know what? I'm not going to church. I wallowed in my self-pity. I thought that would make me feel better. By the afternoon... You know, it was terrible. I felt awful. I said, man, I'll never do that again. I always do what I'm supposed to do, even when I don't feel like it. I'm not going to sit still and wallow in my guilt, in my depression. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep moving ahead. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It said, if you suffer 
for doing good, to suffering for doing the right thing. He said, and you endure it patiently. In other words, you're hanging in there. The word endure, you're, you're, you're constantly enduring it. Bad things happen, one thing after another. You say, you know what, I'm going to hang in there. You know what the Bible says? That God is pleased with you. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. I saw this video the past week. Maybe you saw this on Facebook. And, uh, and I think this is just a, a little snapshot of a mindset that we should have of keep moving ahead, even when things don't go the way it's supposed to go. Check out this 30-second video. good definition of pastoring sometimes right there, you know? <laughs> I keep working on y'all. You know, you keep going back in the same ditch, you know? And, you know, I love like the shepherd. He didn't quit. Oh, man, stupid sheep. <sighs> Walk up there and pour him out again, and he probably did it again. He'd probably jump in that stupid ditch again. Maybe not in that moment, but, right? He didn't quit. He didn't quit. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Number two, when you're discouraged, look for others to encourage. Look around and find someone to encourage. We see that in Joseph in prison. He's not looking at himself, he's looking at others. How can I be a blessing to other people in my life? There was a man that was suffering from severe, severe depression. And the counselor told him to do something that would encourage someone else. And so he goes home, he didn't feel like doing this, he didn't feel like encouraging anyone else, but he figured since he paid for counseling, maybe he should just, uh, you know, uh, follow his advice. And so he thought of a, an old teacher of his that really had an impact in his life when he was a young man. And so he thought he would write a letter to her, send off a letter, and a few days later, a letter came back from this, from this old teacher, and the, and the letter said this. She said, Dear Willie, I remember you as a young man in my class. And when I read your letter, I was blinded with tears. You see, I've taught school for 50 years, and your letter is the first letter of thanks that I've ever received from a student. And I'm going to cherish your note until the day I die. And, and, and he was so moved. This man was so moved by her response that he began to think of other people that he wanted to encourage. And so he sat down and just started writing thank you notes after thank you notes after thank you notes. In two weeks' time, he wrote over 500 thank you notes. And at the end of two weeks, he lost sight of his own self-pity. He lost sight of his own discouragement because he was in a mindset of encouraging other people. And that's one reason why we, we say volunteer, serve. Because the best thing you can do for yourself is to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And it helps you to get your eyes off of your issues and start realizing that, you know what, your issues aren't as big as the real problems that are going on in this world. That's what I love about love for a child. 
you know, and it shows the body, you know, it's all a need. And it joke, you know, if you know Joe's story, Joe, Joe could tell you, he could have stayed stuck where he, where he was at. He could have just stayed still and wallowed in his, in his life. But he decided to move ahead and said, you know what, I want to be a part of families. I want to be a part of lives that make a difference, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. And, 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 and that's the challenge for all of us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of our comfort, who comfort us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We're to be a comfort to others. We're to encourage others. So look around. Find someone else to encourage. Number three, when you're discouraged, put your trust completely in the hands of Almighty God. Trust in him. And that's what Joseph did. For sure. For sure, God's timing was difficult for him to understand. God's methods were different from what he would have liked. But Joseph still believed in the faithfulness of God. We sang the song, the second song today, the goodness of God. He believed in the goodness of God, that God was so, so good. Even when life doesn't make sense, you have to trust God that his promises are true. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All things. You know the all things? That's the good, that's the bad, and that's the ugly. God will take all those things and use it for his good. He's working it all out for his good. And when life just doesn't make sense, the question is, Will you stay faithful to him anyway? Joseph did. He stayed faithful. I love the, the thought here. And I hope that this will help us here. Accept the things you can't change. And act on the things you can change. Some things you can't change. You can't change what happened yesterday. You can't change your past. But you can change your future. There's a lot of things we can change. You can start over. You can, you can overcome a bad habit. You can have a fulfilling marriage. You can have a different outlook and attitude on life. You can overcome any discouragement that comes your way with the help of God. Let me encourage you with these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. All right, that's not encouraging. All of our bodies, we're dying. He said, our spirits are being renewed every day. He said, for our present troubles are small. I want you to think about your troubles right now. Think about the problems you have. Think about the problems you're facing. In the light of eternity, they're small. They're small. We make it bigger than they think than they are in our mind. But they're small. He said, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. 
He said again, in the light of eternity. He said, yet they produced for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze, our focus on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever and ever. We got to accept the things you can't change and act on the things that you can change. We'll close with this story and we're done. In the early 1900s, there was a traveling evangelist named Dr. Charles Weigel busy preaching the gospel all over the country. One day he came home to his wife of many years. And when he came home, he noticed that his wife left. She was gone. All that was left was a note. How she was tired of being in the ministry, tired of serving him, as she goes and travels all around the world, she said, I'm ready to live a new life. And Dr. Charles Weigel was devastated. 61 years old. Lost his wife. He feels like he's lost his ministry. Everything that he worked so hard for was gone. He faced some of the darkest times of his life. In fact, he would say that he contemplated suicide. The voices in his head were saying, man, nobody cares about you, man. You're forgotten. You're a loser. You're a failure. You might as well end it. It was such a dark moment in his life, but during that time, he heard another voice. And that voice said, Charles, I haven't forgotten you. You're still a child of God. I still love you. I still care for you. And out of that dark moment, Dr. Charles Weigel picked up a pen and wrote a hymn. He wrote this hymn in 20 minutes, which is amazing from start to finish. And he wrote the sound. Some of you might know this sound, maybe you don't, but the sound, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And the word that God gave him in that dark moment, I want to share the verse in the chorus. Charles Weigel wrote, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I will tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. The chorus says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for you. Joseph put his life 
in the hands of God. God never forgot him. God never abandoned him. He still had a plan. And through it all, God delivered in chapter 41. My friend, listen. What God did for Joseph, he will do for you. Trust him. Trust him. Put your life in his hand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what we see in the life of Joseph. God, I don't know what's going on in any of our lives. I know, God, there are plenty of hearts here that are broken, discouraged, a lot of heavy hearts. But God, I pray that although we might be stuck in chapter 40, chapter 41 is right around the corner. So we trust you that in all things, good, bad, and ugly, you will work it all out for your good, not my good, but for your good. And so God, I pray that you help us today to overcome our discouragement. Help us to keep moving forward, keep doing what we're supposed to do. God, help us to find ways to encourage others and God help us to put our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.